Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I am thrilled, excited even, about my guest today. Uh, it'll be known to many of you, Nick Lincoln is the chairman, founder, CEO, and solo advisor at v- Values to Visions Financial Planning, a host of the soon-to-be award-winning financial Hey. Financial Comedy Podcast um, and Andy Hart's long lost uncle. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nick Lincoln. <laughs> Thank you, Abraham. I can't argue with any of that. It's all that's all that's all on the nail. Well done. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? I've I've wanted to have you on the podcast uh, for a while. And uh, I finally spoke to your uh, PA, who then referred me to your executive assistant, and we managed to get you in the diary. Yeah, I've got a lot of a lot of doorkeepers and barriers to get through to get to me, but you you you, you persevered, Abraham. Well done. Yeah, good good stuff. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm excited about our conversation today. Wide ranging conversation, um, you know, about investing, the business of financial planning, and all that stuff. But before we do that. Tell us a bit about the enigma that is Nick Lincoln uh, and the V to V financial planning as as a practice. Okay, will do. So I am. What am I now? I'm 54 this year. I've been in financial service, like like nearly everybody, Abe, who who you talk to in this in this profession. I kind of stumbled into financial services in 1993 and worked for an insurance company, became a broker consultant. And in 2001, I sort of crossed to the other side of the floor and became an IFA and worked for a traditional broker firm. They were decent, but they were three plus a half, you know, group personal pensions, investment bonds, PEPs and ISAs, no financial planning, uh, became a director there. And then in 2008, I had this epiphany. I you know, another Marmite figure. I think the two of us are Marmite figures, and there's a you know the third one is is definitely Paul Armson, um, who I think is a force for good, but he does rub a lot of people up the wrong way. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I, I went to a seminar with Paul Armson, um, and fun enough, Tina Weeks was in was there as well. Uh, that's the first time I ever met Tina, and Paul Armson was talking to us about cash flow modeling software and proper financial planning, and it blew my socks off. You know, I didn't even realize I was looking for this until I was shown it. And, and I thought, wow, I can't go back to my three plus a half IFA job anymore, you know, pushing products without the context of a financial plan. It, it just, it, it was literally like a light bulb moment, you know. Um, so I went back to my firm and said, listen, I've this, this got this, this, this financial planning business, this, this, fun, this cash flow modeling, this is the future. Um, and I tried to imp- in, it, force into the business um, and it didn't really, they, they let me do it on my own, but they were never going to change. And I thought, you know what, this is going to just rankle with me. And so I, I, I left, I left that firm on good terms. Very good. I'm still friends with one of the, uh, my former directors there. Um, but I went out on my own and I took some of my clients with me all above board. I, I, I said to the guys, listen, I'm going to say goodbye to my clients you know, just out of courtesy, I'm not going to walk away and set up a new firm, not not tell them I'm going. That's that's bloody rude. And I, you know, what's going to happen? These people, I hope, are going to say they want to come with me. All right, let's be grown up about this. 
Um, and that is what happened. So I took some clients with me, uh, but I waived my shareholding. That was the quid pro quo. I didn't. I gave wow. back my shares for no value. And I thought that, and it all worked out fair and square. So I started up my own business in 2008, uh, offering full fat financial planning to all new clients without exception. No one-off transactional stuff ever. The plan is paramount. The plan determines the portfolio, which we'll come on to in terms of attitude to risk and everything else. And that's what I've done since then. I've I've been RDR sort of friendly from the, from the get go. Uh, I, I charge on a on an assets under management basis, but it's always been via a platform. It's always been agreed between me and the client, and I've got no issue with that. We can talk about that if you want. Where am I now? I look after about seventy families, Abe. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's a lifestyle business in, in the truest sense of the word. You know, I preach lifestyle financial planning to clients. Live the life you want to live. Make sure you've got enough. But once you've got enough, live your life, you know, because you've only got one go and it's not a rehearsal. And my business is a lifestyle business. 70 odd families. Um, my turnover. I know you've had some big hitters on here. My turnover will make them laugh, but my costs are really low. My turnover is, is about 250K a year. It's all recurring. I don't charge initial fees. I don't take initial fees. Um, my, but my profit margins, I imagine, are very high. Before I paid myself a penny, my profit margins are around... Uh, 86 percent um and even after i paid myself a salary and a proper 40k pension contribution my profit margin is still 67 percent. so it's very lean my business um and i mean it helps that i <laughs> my current wife penny she's a she's a head teacher and an outstanding head teacher and when i first saw her i thought there's a good looking defined benefit pension scheme attached to an even better looking girl um I, I better i better get involved with her so i so that does help as well but you know i, I, I my, my business is ultra lean i pay myself it's the normal you know dividends of 9k salary of 91,000. there's 100k right i don't want to pay 60 percent tax 40k yeah. pension contribution. <laughs> it, it gives me enough um and that's where i am today and being my own bot, I'm a bit like you, Abe, right? I'm probably unemployable. So I, I appreciate and I'm grateful with the fact that that gives me latitude to be very frank with, with both my peers, but also my clients. You know, it's a very what you see is what you get relationship with me. And it's, it's just telling the truth about money all the time, all the time doing that within the context of a financial plan. And, and, and that's that's the handsome young man you see in front of you. <laughs> It's it's incredible, Nick. Thank you for your honesty and, and transparency. I, I, I like this, you know, especially, I mean, the, the old thing you've just gone through. And you're softening, you're softening me up because, you know, I want to have a brawl with you about some issues. Maybe we will get into it. But the honesty just blows me away, right? Because, uh, you know, I ask people sometimes about their numbers and they're like, uh, uh, I'm like, we're financial planners. Why are we so cagey to talk about revenue, salary, earnings, you know? And until we dis demystify these things, um, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't think we have the moral authority to tell other people not to get cagey about money. But anyway, that's my... No, um, and so, so just can I throw in one more thing? I meant to say, Abe, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not a big fan of all these business sort of guru books that are out there. I mean, there's, the market is just awash with them. I mean, there, there's, there are two books that I think are really important and have helped me. One is uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, which should just be yeah. given to every child and, and should be... Really I read that in secondary school. But yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Uh, but the other one is, is Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, um, uh, the late Stephen Covey. And one of the habits was begin with the end in mind. And, mm. and I built my entire business around that. And I don't talk about that enough. 
um, to those that are interested to listen. I, 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 when I set up my business in 2008, I thought, okay, what kind of lifestyle do I want? And what is that lifestyle likely to cost both now and in the future? And I worked back everything from that. So I thought, okay, what turnover do I need to give me that income to fund that lifestyle? And if I need that kind of turnover, how many families can I support to give me that turnover? And how many, what fees do I need to charge each family? It really is a business where I, I've, I've fashioned it to give me the lifestyle I want. And, and, and beginning with this end figure in mind, I built back, I built a business back from that. Whereas I think a lot of, financial plan and hence why I'm very open with the figures because those figures are what I that's that's what I need that's what I built my business around I think a lot of financial planning firms just kind of either organically or just by accident sort of stumble to a level and I'm not sure they've always got a purpose and a drive behind them uh, and I think that probably can lead that's probably why there are some issues in the financial planning business as well that's why a lot of financial advisors I don't think aren't, aren't great entrepreneurs and that's not a curse oh. you can't it's I'm not saying I'm a great I'm not really an entrepreneur because an entrepreneur I think is someone who disrupts and sets up something new but I do own my own business but I've always done it with the end in mind uh, so I I don't pursue massive numbers because I think that leads to heartache and stress and yeah. and probably complaints from clients who don't feel loved because you've just got too many clients and you're you're trying to be all things to all people. So I am very kind of dogmatic about this beginning with the end in mind and working back, work out what you need and work back from that. And and I think doing that is 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 a way to have a really nice, profitable, happy business and business owner. Sorry, Abe, go on. No, no, it's good. I mean, it's it's like, uh, you know, we're, we're approaching this from, you know, a, a completely different, you know, different or opposite angles even, you know, I have run, run you know, a small business or, small, you know, small boutique, solo-ish practice. I agree with Finalytic to, to, to five people, you know, half a million pound revenue and all that stuff. I want to build a big business. I want to scale a business and, you know, grow stuff and things like that. Uh, but, but always amazes me that this word, this phrase of lifestyle practice has always somehow become, um, what is it? Uh, you know, like an insult or derogatory. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. don't think it is. If you want to build a practice that is, you know, just you, uh, you know, and, and fitted around your you as a person and your lifestyle and don't want employees, there is nothing, nothing absolutely wrong with that, is there? No, I, I, I don't think there is. I mean, some people are enjoy being workaholics, and and that's mm. that's 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 fine. And I get a lot of validation from what I do, Abe. I mean, I I I love what I do. I love my clients. I love the I love the peers. I love doing this kind of stuff. So I'll probably keep on doing it until my dying day, as long as I've got my faculties. Not because I have to, from a monetary point of view, because obviously I've got a financial plan, as I said, and I and I've worked and I'm you know I'm sorting away for my future self, and I love it because I'm not burnt out by it. You know, again, the firm where I work, it's funny, the lessons you learn from other people are sometimes what, what to do and often what not to do. And when I worked at my previous firm, they were busy fools. They just, they just couldn't say no. You know, they were doing peps and then ices for, for kids, for, for, for the children of clients. That were to, it was, I, I could see this. This was, this was a, just a, a disaster, not profitable because uh, they just couldn't say no. And the director would come in at the weekends to do his reports. He was always at the office. He was always there late at night. And I thought, whatever else I do in life, I do not want to be a busy fool, you know? Um, and and I, I think, you know, <clears throat> I, my financial plan is predicated on me never selling the business, probably giving it away at some stage. 
um, or, or just not taking any more clients on. And one day there'll be just me and one other client and, and that'll be it. Now, so if I do sell it, great, that's just icing on the cake, but I'm not, there's no way I'm hanging my financial plan on a one-off arbitrary event. You know what regulation is like. It could come in next four year. Four times revenue. Four times revenue is the going rate. You don't want that? Uh, you know, that's, that's, if I, if I, if I, if I get it. in the bank. No, if I sell my, if, if I pass my business on, I want it to, I want to give it to someone who I really like and trust, who will look after my clients. And if they want to give me some money as a thank you, all the better. But there's no way I'm living my financial plan waiting for that one event to happen. Because again, I think that's just... Uh, Things will change, my friend, and suddenly it won't be four times, it'll be one time. It could be 10 times, but why, you know, when I'm building financial plans with clients, I never, I won't allow clients because I'm quite a, you know, I'm quite bossy, as you might have guessed. I, it, we, we don't build plans around like a future inheritance. You just, because you don't know when you're going to get it. You don't know how much it's going to be. You might fall out with mum or dad. The, the will might be, there's no way you can build a plan on a, an event that's 20 years hence that so much of the plan hangs on that one event. That's not a plan. That's just, that's just a fingers crossed and let's, let's hope this pans out. And that's not financial planning. So, yeah. That, that's, uh, that's, that's incredible stuff. So let's, um, let's move on. Uh, you know, we've just ended year 2022, right? Yeah. Which was an interesting year for, for financial planners and, and the investment market. How was it for you? What, what's your overall assessment of, uh, you know, the investment market, the conversations you've been having with clients in the past year? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it was a very inter <laughs> interesting, in quotes, interesting year, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, obviously the, um, the uh, since January, the first, well, since, yeah, since the very start of the year, the S&P 500, the great companies of the USA, and really by inference, the great companies of the world have, we're still in a bear market, right? Um, insulated to a degree by the, uh, the the dollar's appreciation against all currencies, including sterling and the and the uh, the holy euro. Um, so that kind of insulated the losses to a degree. So clients didn't feel that. And I will come on to bonds in a moment because I can feel you're itching to talk about bonds. Um, but you know, again, in the annual annual planning meetings I have with clients, uh, we we just don't talk about. You know, I've coached my clients. We just don't focus on the investments. We, you know, I would say if an annual planning meeting takes 50 minutes, 60 minutes, three minutes are spent on investments. And I'm trying to whittle that down. Um, <laughs> if, if, the, if the clients bring it up, I'll address it. I won't, you know, I'll say, well, you know, this, the, the, the declines are temporary. The advance is permanent. I think actually this, we, we were overdue a temporary decline of some magnitude, mm, this, mm. you know, and, and as you know, for accumulators, this is like sale time, you know, pile in. Mm, mm. Um, for decumulators, you have to be a bit more careful, and we'll come onto that as well. The, yeah, the, the fixed income side of things, uh, yeah, it's just a, a problematic year, and I don't see interest rates going any other way than up a little bit more, which will probably drive drive down bond prices further if it's not already in the price. Perhaps uh, I, I, I do think, I think, I think the time has come for us to reassess what what bonds are and and what. A, what a fixed what a fixed income product means in a rising cost world. I, I I don't think there is much place for them anymore, and I think we have to be we have to be more direct and brutal with clients about the the the, the transformative beauty of owning equities in a, in a long term portfolio and having adult conversations about riding out the temporary declines. Um, 
And, and 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 likewise with bonds, you can lump in smooth funds and with profit and all the other crap that's that's been out there for years that really is toxic. I think, in 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 a world where inflation, you know, if inflation reverts to its long term average of around four or five percent, that that's a lot more than it's been for the last ten years or so. Um, but it could go higher than that. You know, the, the, you know, the seventies it was it was always double digit inflation, and we 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 somehow just got used to it. But that's you have to change. You have to change the way you invest if you're, if you're going into that kind of environment. And I, I just think that the, the last year for bonds has made me realise that I don't really see what point they have anymore, even even as the, as the, the sort of buffer pot in a client's financial plan, you know, the sequence of pots that you can access to try and uh, get get past, uh, was it pound cost ravaging, your, your phrase. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what, yeah. It's, 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 made, it's given me pause for thought, young man, anyway. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's interesting. So since you opened that door for a bond brawl, <laughs> <laughs> let let's let's have a bond brawl. I mean, we we are both in agreement that the returns from you know from the the equities is what drives our our, our and our clients' financial plan. You know, for the pu- purpose of full disclosure, I am invested in 100% equity uh, value and, and, and uh, you know, small cap exposure. You know, the same thing, you know, the, what we call classic portfolios mm. here at Timeline. 100%, mm. uh, I have a little bit more um, equity, sorry, factor exposure than, you know, our, our portfolio 100, which will be, you know, 25 Twenty-five percent into small, twenty-five percent into value, value uh, and then the rest in 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 um, you know market weighted. So yeah, to, yeah, plain to, vanilla tr- tracker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. But the, but the point is though, the role of equity, and in all of my writings, including you know the safe withdrawal rate framework, we've always demonstrated that equities does better than a mixture any other mixture maybe apart from 90 uh, you know 90 10 but any other mixture of equities and bonds but your your talk at whom just got you know human humans under management just got me it was a brilliant talk by the way you know uh, you Thank know you. great talk but this idea that i constantly struggle with to say that look we where there's no room for bonds in the portfolio uh you know not even 60 40 uh you know we're going everybody that walks through the door is going to get a 100% equity portfolio i have to be honest i struggle with that concept because people are just people you know they are humans and how can they tolerate um you know the the volatility if 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 they're not as educated i mean remember this comes to you as a second nature right you know yeah, like this idea of, but but you've been doing this um you know gosh 25 30 years and with all due respect nick it took you 15 freaking years to figure this out yeah, right yeah, yeah. to get to this point where um you know, you you went to to to, to the seminar, Paul, Paul Amsin, and then we all met our legendary um, Nick Murray. You look at this. I yeah, have yeah, it. Yeah. I, I have the old thing now. By the way, I didn't look up. I didn't bring these books up 
because I was talking to you. They were sitting in my desk. Uh, Nick Murray's script, uh, the, the, you know, around the world with Nick Murray. Uh, it, it took us all so long to figure this out and then my, my journey looking at the data and all that stuff to think that we can translate all of that knowledge, all of that passion, all of that data to a client the first minute they walk out in, in the door or even a year into the journey, it's a tall order, isn't it? It's a, it's a commitment to your craft and your passion, but it can be done. By the way, thank you for commenting on my talk at HUM. Um, I will address your point in a second. I saw you speak at the PFS uh, festival in um, with that bloody awful technology and those slides that kept jumping up. Um, and you did, you did you did very well. But you know, you referred to you mentioned my name a few times in your in your tech stack speech. Do you, do you know what you, you, do you know what you called me? You didn't know you were doing it. I don't think you called me Lick Ninken. Lick Ninken about three or four times. It's a tongue twister because you have to say the N word twice. You <laughs> know, not the N word, but like <laughs> Lick. Ling, uh, uh. You can do it. Come on, say it. Ah, Nick Lincoln. Oh, beautiful. Okay, now we put that to bed because that's been bugging me for months, Abe. I just want to get back at you. Um, is it a tall order for, for... Yes, okay, you're absolutely right. So I I, I was once one thing and then I've sort of transmogrified into a different thing Was when, when the world was revealed to me that actually uh, the product is not primary, the plan is primary. And that's, you're right, I had to change. I had to change my whole mental approach. Having done that... I have found out that actually, well, I found to date, to date, um, touching wood here, that that actually, you know what, prospects, because we are always prospecting for business, and prospects is not a bad word, prospects can be converted to educated clients who get, who get that the markets are volatile and that volatility is your friend, and and I I can't say it enough. If 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 your business is built around financial planning. And the financial plan is primary, and the products, the investments are definitely secondary. Actually, clients don't panic because they see it in the context of their lifetime. They see it in the pretty graph, right? They're, you know, blue is good, red is bad. As long as there's enough blue on the chart, even after a shitty year of market returns, they don't actually care. And and the, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, so I've. So I became a. I became somehow I got through the uh, the registration process to become an IFA in May two thousand and one. Okay, so that was yeah. just the, that was the tech unwinding. It was four months before two planes flew into those twin towers and the Iraq War. You know, for that that early bear market two thousand two thousand and three was savage, right? That that was down. Well, the S and P was down fifty seven percent or something. I can't remember what it was. And then we had a period of growth, and then we had the great financial crisis, two thousand and seven to nine, and then we had the the, the great bedwetting reaction to the Wuhan flu, uh, and now we got this current, and you know the, the cost of lockdown crisis hitting the markets. So I've been through various bear markets and served my clients, and hand on heart, Abraham, in all that time, I've never had a single client disinvest, do the wrong thing. Because they're educated from day one, and I think you can. I think we 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 sometimes patronise people, and 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 yes, we do this all the time, so it's second nature to us. But I think lay people who know nothing about investments and don't really care can be educated enough to stop themselves harming. 
because that's what my entire business is built around. And I, it's it, you're paying me for my behavioral coaching. And I give away the portfolio selection and the rebalancing and a top class responsive service. And I kind of give away the financial planning. You're paying me to make sure you don't blow up the financial plan. That's where the money comes from. And, and just by constantly reinforcing to clients every year, you know, I go through a little education session with my clients at the annual planning meetings that these declines are totally normal and this too shall pass and turn off the news. It is not your friend. The message is always consistent. I don't change my investment philosophy. I don't change my funds. The plan is primary. And if you use the same phrases with people and you're honest and you're direct and if you can bring in some humor as well, because it's quite a dry subject. It is, you know, pensions are nice. They're, they're, I mean, they're dull as dishwater, right? For us, God knows what people who don't really know what they are think about them. I, I, I push back, Abe. You can, you can educate people. And I think for too long we've panned and we, we looked down our noses at the great unwashed and thought they don't get markets and they never will do. But they can, as long as they've got someone on their shoulder saying, don't do that. Don't, don't panic. Don't buy on, don't sell on the dips. Don't go into crypt. Don't go into gold. Or don't read the Daily Mail money supplement. Don't read any bloody money supplement because it's not there to help you. But they don't hear this. There's nobody. There's no one doing what we do out there, right? It's, it's just us, and most people don't have us on their shoulder, and they make mistakes. But I think if you've got an empathetic behavioural counsellor working with you, I think you can get through it, and you will not sell on the. You know, you will not do those things that blow up your own financial plan, which negates the need for these bloody products that give up the permanent long-term return to ride out the short-term volatility. That's a long way of saying bonds. They don't have a place. Yeah, I, 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 I you know, you, you're very persuasive. I tend to agree. I like this. This certainly appeals to me. This idea that we shouldn't patronize people. Or, or that we do patronize people uh, when it comes to investing. And we're kind of saying, it's kind of elitist, isn't it? Like, you can't understand it. We've been doing this for 20 odd years. Uh, but people can, as you say, you know, if you go through a, a methodic approach with them. The other thing, though, is, uh, again, one, one thing I disagree with you on is how you get to that point. I am a fan of getting people to invest as, in as much equities as, as they can uh, re reasonably hold. And, you know, 100% will be the Nirvana. Um, but how do you get them there is the question. So I hear you're a big fan of risk profiling tools, right? <laughs> <laughs> Talk a little bit about, about that one, um, you know. Uh, sure. Um, and, 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 let me just make a, I'll just come back on one point. One of the reasons I think in the past that we have had these products that, that ameliorate the volatility so people don't panic is because we've had basically a lazy IFA sector that wanted an easy product to sell. And they, and they wanted their 3% commission or in the olden days on with profit bonds, they wanted their 7 or 8% initial commission. And it was an easy sell, right? You could go and see Mrs. Miggins a year down the line when the markets have fallen by 20% and say, well, your bond is still the same value. Or actually, you've just got your reversionary bonus and it's gone up by 2%. So there's an awful lot of that driving it as well, historically. Um, yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah. So I don't have all my clients in 100% equity portfolios. I'm, I'm having conversations with older clients in terms of my the length of the relationship, moving them to a more equity-based portfolio. But most of my clients are on either 80%, 80-20, and certainly all new clients, and without a shadow of a doubt, all young clients go into 100% equity. 
equities because it just, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't. And I say, you know, the, the greatest crime you can do to a client is give them an online portal where they can log in and see the valuation. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is. It's, 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 it's up there with those, those bastards who sit in the middle lane on the motorway. You know, they should be shot. Um, you don't want people looking at, at their valuations. You want them looking once every 30 years. That's, that's the ideal time to look at your valuations. The, the financial plan determines the, risk, the, the, the return you need to get, right? And for most clients, they need a significant return over, over inflation to, to make sure their financial plan reaches fruition and that they can leave a legacy to those they love. Okay, most people want to leave something to their children, um, something of significant, and if not to their children, to their causes and their charities and so forth. And all the studying I've done <clears throat> and all the hundred, well, you know, this all the hundred years of market data indicates that you're going to get the kind of return you need to, to amass significant purposeful wealth by investing in the great companies of the world. Attitude to risk question is, again, they're a SOP. You know, they're a, they're a, they're a, they're a bygone, they're a, there's, there's something from a bygone era that thankfully I think is behind us. But basically, you're giving Mr. and Mrs. Petrified a mumbo jumbo questionnaire. They don't know what the hell they're being asked. They don't want to feel embarrassed. They'll always go for the middle one. Not too hot, not too cold. They'll also they'll always end up with a 60-40 crappy portfolio, you know, of which nearly half is in assets that won't keep pace with inflation. And Yes, you've ticked the compliance box and maybe you can sleep at night. But when those clients run out of money at the age of 86 and you've long retired, somewhere in the ether, there's, there's, there is, you're going to get, you know, Satan is, gonna, is waiting for you. He's, 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 he's putting logs on the fire because that's where you deserve to go. Just because you've ticked the box doesn't mean it's the right thing for the clients. Attitude to risk question, mumbo jumbo questionnaires are another, I know there's a lot of money been made off them. I'm going to be careful what I say. I think they're a con. I think the people that... There are thousands and thousands of people in the last 30 years who've gone into portfolios that are entirely inappropriate for their actual life needs, but the compliance box was ticked. And if you think that's good, not you personally, my friend, but if you in the generic, if, if you think that's a good way to live your life, then then yeah, yeah good, good luck with that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I do have, I mean, I have, a, I have an attitude to risk questionnaire on my, it's a hidden page on my website, <clears throat> but it's just there to flush out the weirdos. Right, it's, it's, it's literally it's four or five questions, um, and it's just to see, you know. So I want above average returns, but I don't want any volatility. If they answer that, then I think, okay, well, hold on here, we've got someone who doesn't yet get it. Uh, but that's as far as I go on those. That's brilliant. And feel free, by the way, though, to 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 you know, him your insult at me. Uh, this is not the first time about about attitude to risk questionnaire and things like that. So. Uh, or, or indeed anything that I, I espouse as a view. Now, this is where I think, this is where we, we fundamentally disagree, right? My premise, and, uh, you know, my, my premise is a couple of things. One is that understanding the client's attitude to risk, whether or not you and I um, agree with, with, with the need to do it, um, the the crux is that this is a regulatory requirement, right? You know, so now I'm not saying filling a questionnaire is a regulatory requirement, but it is a regulatory requirement post-financial crisis that we understand and evidence the client's attitude to risk. Call it attitude to volatility. Call it their tendency to be afraid of what they don't understand, Right. And I always take the view that 
there is no reason in this profession for you to lose your shirts in the process of advising clients and getting them to do the right thing for their finances, right? You know, so I don't want to lose my regulatory, uh, you know, permissions, right? Just because I want to help another client, uh, you know, another person. I don't want to lose my professional standing, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and my means, of providing for my family, right? You know, let's beg this to, to the essence because I want to help another family achieve their goal, right? So, so that's, right? So we have to work within the regulatory environment that we are given, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, to me, this comes down to what I call informed consent, right? You know, so a, a risk profiling tool in my view, a, you know, a decent one is the beginning of a cons- yeah yeah I see what you mean. It, it's a beginning of a, de- a, a a conversation with clients, and the genius I think we've managed to achieve in in what we do at timeline is to build the risk profile into the financial plan. Right. So it used to be that you go off over there, you do this risk profile and you set the client expectation. They come out five out of 10. Right. And then you go and build a financial plan and it comes out and it says, well, you need 70 equity, 80, 20, uh, 100 percent equity to achieve your goal. And then we start to, you know, go agi bagi about how we get from 50 to 80 or to 100. Well, right in front of us in the same piece of technology, you tell, let me start with your plan. I build your plan for you and all that stuff. You go complete that risk profile questionnaire. And I simply show you that if you go into 50-50 portfolio, 20-30 portfolio, all your plans will be zero. All the goals will not be accomplished. The success rate is going to be using the weight of 120 years historical data. And then I say to you, I can print that plan, save it as a starting point of the conversation. And yes, to cover my back because I don't want to lose my shirt in the process. And then I change the portfolio and say, well, actually, you know, what if it's 80-20? What if it's 100? And everything we've built is based on data. It uses, uh, you know, this concept of capacity for loss is actually a fascinating one in the sense that no we'll come back to it in the sense that what you tend to find is when you have a lot of a portfolio with a lot of equity in the portfolio the worst case scenario i i always think of capacity for loss as what is the worst case scenario if it for your goals the portfolio you're investing in. The worst case scenario for 100% equity portfolio is better than the worst case scenario. You do know this uh, over a 30, even 20 year period for a 50-50 portfolio. My point is that you can reach informed consent and you can demonstrate to the client. It's a, you know, if you think of that fact that this is taking us 20 years or 10, maybe even longer to get to this, my, my 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 point is that there is you can get the client to hold equity portfolio and i don't see risk profiling as nest well in the past 
right, in the past where you did these things uh, completely separately. It is, and currently most advisors still do this, it is an impediment, but not, not in the, the world that I am living in and that I am promoting. Tell me I'm stupid. Go on. No, I don't need to. You've just done it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I... That's that's a very reasoned argument. Uh, listen, I, it's like a bit like annuities. If if annuities didn't exist, right, no one would invent them. Now, okay, if attitude to risk questionnaires didn't exist, no one would invent them. I think nobody should or would invent them now. We still talk about them because perhaps it is yes. You say the FCA say we must understand our class attitude to 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 risk. Although there's not as you as you also said, there's no. Um, I don't think there's any actual explicit text saying you have to get them to fill out a questionnaire, but you have to have the conversation. Uh, you know, uh, listen, what is risk, right? What is risk? It's not volatility, is it? Volatility is your friend. Risk is running out of money, man. Risk, that's risk. Risk is waking up one day and going to the bank and thinking, shit, we've got nothing left. I'm 83. I can't get work. I've got to sleep on a park bench for the rest of my life. That's risk. And everything we should we do should be building back from ameliorating the risk of running out of money before you run out of life. And everything else is window dressing. I'm sure I haven't I haven't checked out your your if if anyone's going to crack this conundrum, I'm making a, an attitude to risk questionnaire in some way useful. Abe. It will be, I'm not blowing smoke at your bum here, but it will be you, okay? And I'm sure yeah. what you're doing is at the leading edge of it. I do do what you kind of. Uh, well, no, I, yeah, I, I follow a similar process to you in terms of, and yes, mine is deterministic, which I know gives you the willies, but I do, with all clients, all new clients, I run a capacity for cash scenario in the cash flow. What's your capacity for sitting in cash for the next 30 years? And for nearly all clients, it's zero. You've got zero capacity for sitting in cash for the next 30 years because you're going to run out of money, right? So the least risky thing you can do, Mr. and Mrs. Client, is invest in a portfolio that's chock full of the great companies of the world because that's going to give you the best potential and it's always art and science the best potential of of you know the, the money outliving you which is what we want so i do do that and i i you know and that's that's how i get that's that's the risk questionnaire for me that's how i get it answered um i do talk about i do talk about the alternatives to, to equities and then you know and i show them graphically the alternatives to equities and so far, none of my clients have uh, have thought that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a viable option. Live, sleeping on the park bench, and and I'm kind of talking myself into a hole here because I. But I've been an IFA since May 2001, as I said earlier. I've had zero complaints. I've had zero complaints, man. You know, just by doing the right thing and having frank conversations. And I, and again, I'll come back to it. if attitude to risk questionnaires didn't exist, who would invent them? Back to you, my friend. So it's a very good point. I mean, I think in a sense. We both agree on, you know, the need for equities. I guess maybe you are, maybe I am more, uh, sadly, I don't know, I am, I be careful. Uh, I, I, I am more uh, timid than you are, or you're, or you're certainly bolder and, <laughs> you know, in the sense that, I, I think of this, uh, and maybe this is, you call, you will, I will fall into the category of what you call, uh, Knack? Is it knack you call them? <laughs> no, never not, advised not, a client. Knack. Uh, never advised it. <laughs> yeah, but there are good knacks and there are bad knacks. Let me qualify yeah, that. Right. Right. No, you don't have to dress it up. That's okay. I'm okay with the insults. That's all right. You know, <laughs> which is, you know, which is, which is, I, I, you know, I, I feel that A, you work within the regulatory con constraints, you know, which means to me 
that you show the client the impact, what the worst case scenario looks like, as well as all the, you know, the good scenario, medium scenario, what, how their plan fares, you know, if they invest in cash, uh, you know, which is the alternative that you show. I also use data to show what the plan looks like, good, I think of, um, you know, capacity for loss as how your plan fares when everything, if or when everything goes to shit yeah. for the portfolio you're investing in, right? That is Will you will you be left on the bench at eight, you know at eighty with no money? And I can demonstrate that with data. But you know, I, I agree. I agree that I agree that I'm not sure we would say if if risk capacity does sorry if risk profile doesn't exist today that we wouldn't invent it because even as as uh, you would allude to, you need a way to sort out or figure out where the client is in their understanding today, right? You know, or whether you want to take them on, you know, you you have a framework for, what is the word? Don't onboard the, what is the phrase that you use? Well, don't take on board the weirdos. Don't take on the weirdos. You know, the the, the performance junkies. Yeah, you know, clients are going to consistently panic but how do you know where they are if, yeah, again, I think you can have a conversation you know, with yeah, them? You, 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 you never know anything with certainty in, in most things in life, and certainly not with money and emotions. And mm. again, you know, what we do is as much art as science. It's about intuition. It's about guts. You, you, as someone who's never advised a client, Abe, take this, take this on trust. Um, but you, you, you generally know within the first couple of minutes of meeting somebody whether you can work with that person for the next three decades or not. It's the human intuition is an amazingly strong thing, and and prospects will use certain words, they'll use certain phrases. You know, they'll they'll want to sit like you know if they ask for, show me your portfolio's returns. You know, it's like why? Okay, that's a red flag. You know, so you can do it. If they say, show me your portfolio, the response should be, all right, off you go, you're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got an ESG filter. As soon as they mention ESG, I kick them out the door. That's the, that's the filter I apply. It's, it's very high. Yeah. Um, everything, everything that you do, and I'm talking about you personally, is, is about good consumer outcomes. I'm, and that, I'm the same, right? And the, I think the good guys and girls in our profession, they are, they've got consumer duty already baked in, okay? It's, it's all about good client outcomes it's not about which product is best it's about are these people on track to live a life free of money worries now and later on when the income taps when the employment taps are turned off we want good outcomes for people everything is built around that and everything else is kind of noise and we, you know and just a plug here in in, in episode 10 of the real advisor podcast it's, it's a it's an episode devoted to consumer duty because that is the current regulatory project du jour isn't it and and uh, you know, I've I've been through it. I've I've done my consumer. God, <laughs> oh, the hours wasted. I've done my consumer duty action plan, and it's in place. But if you go through it, you realise actually what this what the FCA is saying is is stuff that I to me is second nature. You know, it's about it's about transparency, low cost products, no exit penalties, ease of communication. If I have one gift, it's that I think I'm quite good at explaining abstract things in ways that people can pick up on. Okay, mm. um, and and but it, ultimately everything is about is about outcomes, um, and and if you build a business around that, I, I 
I just think, you know, so much of what we've inherited from the past is redundant and, and we need to just almost have a fresh canvas and say, start afresh. You know, what, what, what was good in the past is no longer, no longer works. And that includes, for me, that includes attitude risk questionnaires. But as I say, your point is well made. You do need, that's why I have this hidden page, just to make sure that, well, I ask these questions just to make sure that aren't, there aren't this massive incongruences, that people want something from me that I can never give them. You know, they want to see a stable portfolio growing at a linear 9% a year. Well, I just, it cannot be done. And if you want that, there are thousands of IFAs up and down the land who will promise you that. And I'll have swanky DFMs and you'll be given a lovely quarterly valuation bound in leather on thick cartridge paper. Some people want that, right? That's why, uh, and I, I, I'm not going to diss St. James's Place. I think St. James's Place is the greatest marketing company, certainly in financial services in the UK, maybe the world, right? Ken Fisher in the States, maybe the other exception. St. James's mm. Place is a brilliant marketing firm and they give people what they want. And I would rather refer my grandmother to a St. James's Place partner who did financial planning over a certified chartered IFA with all the credentials after his or her name who does financial planning in word only. And God knows there are loads of them out there as well. Um, and I think for them, consumer duty is going to be a kick up the arse and, and not a day too soon. Yeah, no, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Look, we're we're way over time. This is how I know a good podcast, I because we we we're having a great conversation. I'm enjoying the conversation. There are still a lot of comebacks in my mind that I want to come back to you on, but I won't. Let's just uh, you know move on and try to wrap this up. You you were talking about the need to um, you know re what's the word you know. Uh, do away with the past, improve things, have a better framework. Um, but your contrarian view, uh, one of your contrarian views is that, you know, advisor technology uh, today is as good as it gets. It's all unkidori, It's all working at an issue. And then you go on Twitter and moan about how you don't want to pay 200 pounds a month to, to FE analytics. Um, is, is, is the advisor tech stack as good as it gets? Oh, okay. So that, that you're absolutely right. That's, and that FE analytics is a, is a bone of content. I've actually canceled my subscription. Um, you no, it's never going to be, it's never going to be, and it's always evolving, man. But I mean, you could pick one thing out of 20. Uh, it doesn't mean the tech stack is, but uh, listen, I'm a one man band, right? So I, it's for me, the tech stack works perfectly. I, I appreciate if you're a multi RI firm and you've got MI here and KPIs over here, and it probably is a bit of a hodgepodge. But I think the tech, crikey, you know, I, you know, the 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 days of printing off fund fact sheets, printing off terms of business, printing off application forms, driving driving to clients' homes to get them to sign great big wadges of paper, absolute. Ball ache and drain, and and I think it's I think it's pretty good now. I I do think it's pretty good. I don't, I you know I can do a cash flow update for a client in about literally uh, an annual planning meeting for a client. I'm updating the voyant cash flow because I think the advisor has to be doing the updating of the cash flow because it's the advisor that's going to be presenting it back, and the advisor needs to know everything that's going on in the bonnet. I can do it in about ten minutes, uh, you know. And what's the problem? I, uh, um, and, and I know you, you know, you, you, one of your things is about APIs and getting platforms to talk to other things in the chain. I, and I appreciate from your perspective, it might be a problem for me. DocuSign, Dropbox, Voyant, G Suite or whatever they've called their branding this year. Um, you know, uh, that's Calendly. 
and an internet connection and a decent scanner and you're good to go, man. You're good to go. It's, it's, uh, wow. I know ne I never use my print. The only time I use my printer is when I'm, um, God, I print off the Nick Murray newsletter once a month. And even then I do it through gritted teeth. Uh, you know, I think the tech stack is pretty good. I, before, the, before we wrap up, you think you're going to get away with this, don't you, my friend? You're not. Tell me, I never understand these model portfolio services and I've tried to look at them, Abe. Tell me why I should use, and I, I would use the timeline classic if I went, t tell me why I should use that. Fundamentally, what we're trying to do is that the reason you should use it, actually, the, the reason you should use it is that you abstract all of the work involved in, in running portfolios yourself, the rebalancing, the research, you know, due diligence, all these things, things that we have to do, right? Mm. Um, you abstract all of that, you remove all of that, and the overall cost is the same, if not less, than your client is currently paying. Because we have access to institutional share classes, um, you can remove all of that work and spend far more time, if needed, either with your client or selling your, your yacht or your, your little boat. Um, in the Midlands. That's why you should use it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm always, I mean, because I'm, you know, because I'm ditching FE analytics. I mean, the only reason I use them is because, what you know, I, I used to print off a, a client portfolio report to stick on the file at the annual planning meeting. Um, and if I ditch them, I've now... So you get the portfolio analytics tool. So that's what, two, for you, it's two and a half grand a year, right? Because the portfolio analytics tool is, is included as part of the pack. You get more time to spend selling your yacht or fishing. <laughs> uh, you don't want to spend more time with the client because you're spending as much as you are. And the overall cost is the same, if not lower, for the client. Okay. I mean, I will, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. And fi sorry, final question. This is an idiot question. If a client's got a GIA and you do rebalancing, which you do, don't you, automatically, doesn't that trigger a CGT situation? So we don't do the rebalancing in GIA automatically. Again, this is one of the things that I may, I know a lot of um, you know model portfolio services do. We don't. We never. Re so again, because we build the technology before we rebalance portfolio, we will send you a notification as an advisor that we're going to rebalance the portfolio. We go ahead and rebalance the pensions and the ISAs, and then we wait for you. It's a partnership. We wait for you as an advisor to instruct us to go ahead. Um, and, and rebalance the, the, the GIAs. Now, you can give us a standing instruction if the GIA is, you know, pedal little amount of money and you can say, well, this client can, should go ahead automatically and rebalance them. Um, you know, there are clients that you don't want rebalancing and you don't want to create, uh, you know, CGT for them. So again, all of that's built into the, into the tech. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good answer. Okay, my friend, anything else? You turned my podcast on me. This is what you did. <laughs> and look, I, have, I have enjoyed our conversation. Look, thank you for all you do. Thank you for being a voice. I, you know, I, I, there's a lot that we agree on. I think we agree on the core thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's good. It's good. And when you did your home talk, someone walked to me, a great financial planner, um, um, you know, walked up to me and he, and he, and he said to me, um, Ah, you know, I don't agree with Nick. Um, 
because 64 40 portfolio has never done anyone a, 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 you know much harm um and i said to them well you know, I like the fact that the people, the compliancy people, they drag the profession all the way around back to the bonds end of the conversation, right? And they never leave room in the middle, right? They just say, you got to get everybody to do risk profiling and they end up in low risk portfolio and all that stuff. You know, people like Nick drag us uh, towards the Nirvana, uh, you know, so, and I think in the end, we'll end up in the right place. And when I look at, you know, the portfolio, the 1.7 billion of clients that, that we look up to today, most of them are in portfolio 70, 80. That's kind of where we see it. Will I want to get that to 90, maybe, you know, to 100, maybe. But, you know, the, so, so voices like yours have been incredible in just amplifying and pushing our profession towards, um, you know, the, the best uh, outcome for clients. So thank you very much. Your final words, where we can find you, um, and and uh, we'll say goodbye to, to the okay, audience. Okay, thank you. Just, just, just to be sure, absolutely, the things that bind us, Abe, are far, far more powerful than the things that push us apart. We are definitely aligned. And the work you do with Timeline, you know, if there's one thing I take from Timeline, it is that, that, that equities are the safest option. Okay, and if mm. we can just get that message out there, there's a lot packed into that statement. Uh, where people can find me uh, on Twitter at Hat Tip Nick and also at Advisor Podcast, the Real Advisor Podcast. If you are in the advice chain, you could be admining, power planning, advising, knacking. Um, the Advisor Podcast, the Real Advisor Podcast, TRAP, is 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 for you, and it's built by the listener, the listener's feedback, and you know us four jabronis chat. And chew over the questions posed by the, uh, the, and it's going really well. So thanks. And thanks, Abe, for all you do. And thanks for your time today. Nick Lincoln. Thank you very much for your time. <laughs>